0: Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. And today we're continuing our special Dreamforce 2021 coverage. This year's Dreamforce theme is Success Anywhere and Dreamforce Everywhere, and you can experience it digitally on the newly launched Salesforce Plus. So head over to Salesforce.com/plus. That's P-L-U-S to experience Dreamforce this year. Our customer and employee experiences connected. Melody Hobson, the co-CEO and president of Ariel Investments, definitely thinks so. She sat down with Kristen Bellstrom, features editor at Fortune Magazine, to discuss how everything, from getting buy-in while working remotely, to creating a fulfilling work environment, to aligning operations with company values, impacts how customers feel about your brand. So let's jump right in and take a listen to Melody Hobson in conversation with Kristen Bellstrom.
1: Welcome to our session on designing the new era of experience. Today we're gonna be talking about challenges and opportunities with customer experience and employee experience and how those two things are often very closely intertwined. My name is Kristen Bellstrom, I'm Fortune's features editor and I am thrilled to be joined today by Melody Hobson. Uh, Melody is the co-CEO and president of global asset management firm, Ariel Investments. Um, And among the other hats she wears at Ariel. Melody is also the co-founder of Ariel Alternatives, a private investment initiative launched just this year to support Fortune 500, supply chain diversity, and to help close the racial wealth gap. Uh, Finally, I should also mention, given the context of this conversation, that Melody has done uh, quite a bit of public board work and is currently chair of the board at Starbucks and a director at Morgan Chase. So in addition to bringing the aerial perspective, she also has quite a lot of insight into how other companies are thinking about these issues. Hi, Melody, nice to see you. Great to see you, thanks for having me. Um, so just to lay the groundwork for this conversation, I-, I thought we should talk about why we're focusing on both customer experience and employee experience. Cause I- I'm guessing there are some people who are going to be listening to our talk who are gonna think about these things as sort of like two separate and distinct topics. So I'd, I'd love to just hear a little bit about the ways that you think that they're connected and why you make, think it makes sense for us to, to talk about them and think about them sort of in tandem. I think it makes perfect
2: sense because I think experience or that that way of thinking is a mindset and that mindset should not be bifurcated by who you are serving. I would argue that are the people that work with us and for us are as important and sometimes more than the customer because they ensure the customer experience. So to separate those or think of them differently or to rank order them where one is more important than the other, I
1: think, is inherently problematic. That makes sense. Um, let's dive into employee experience then at, at Ariel. Um. What are your like biggest priorities for the firm when it comes to employee experience?
2: Well, I think in the world of COVID, that's a very important co- question because the experience is uh, more perhaps more important than ever before for a host of reasons. Everything from health and welfare to the anxiety that might be produced by um, from people just being in an office. And so I think this idea of the employee experience has perhaps never gotten as much attention, has never been more important. And in general, I just think in this country right now, the people who are doing the work are holding the cards because of so much that has happened in our society, some of the labor shortages that we have and the like. And so as a result of that, I think when I think about the employee experience at Ariel, I want to start off by making sure that we're not managing with edicts, Because I think that just doesn't work in this society. And that is a part of your experience being told versus being asked, having a conversation and listening to other points of view. I have to tell you, I've had to push myself in this environment to think differently and to not hold ideas that I've held for the last three decades as a leader at Ariel so dearly, as we like to say, to be more open and to hold my ideas more lightly. I think that if you don't ask, you don't get buy in. So if you just tell, you you have the risk of no buy-in. And I think, again, in this environment, especially where our work has been distributed to our homes and people are far away from us and we can't see everything that they are doing, not that we ever could inside of the office, that buy-in is super important. And so, again, getting that buy-in through listening, asking, and engaging, I think is very important. I think, you know, this is fundamental, but it's just worth repeating in terms of an employee experience. We call them teammates at Ariel, as opposed to employees. But you want to treat people the way you want to be treated. I mean, that it is, it's is—it's just the bottom line. It's part of the golden rule. But I think sometimes for expediency or for other reasons, um, sometimes legal, a whole bunch of things get in front of just the right answer. And so I think sometimes we need to really make sure that that's at the the that, that is the essence of what we're trying to solve for. How would I want to be treated? How would I want to receive this information or haven't it given it to me? I think a part of the employee interest and employee experience is making sure that you speak to, at least at Ariel, we try to do simultaneously their own self-interest, which guides so many people's decision and, and how they do things, but also at the same time fostering teamwork. So we're trying to do those things at the, at the same time. You don't want a selfish environment where it's a me-first environment. We want to have, to have people think of each other. And the only way I think that you can do that is to make sure you're being very responsive to that individual and what that individual's needs are. Um, I think those are the top level things that I think about when I think about that, that employee experience at Ariel, or as we would say, our teammate experience.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's really one thing that stood out for me, just, you know, looking back at some of the ways you've talked about this in the past is the idea of skin in the game. And I know, you know, at Ariel, to some extent, that that really comes down to being largely employee owned. But are there ways other companies can think about um, making sure their employees feel like they have that? They have the skin in the game. They have the seat at the table. um, You know, some of the things some of the overlying sort of big picture things you're talking about like from a tactical level how how do you how do you bring that to your employees well I think it can be
2: done in lots of ways I think it's a great question I think it's super relevant because they have to feel like they belong and that they can I always share I always say we want people at Ariel to share in the rewards and responsibilities of ownership it's not one or the other it's both and when you're an owner we want you thinking, um, in the way of being responsible, thinking about every dime you spend as if it literally came out of your wallet, because in many ways, it does. Now, to think that we are the only ones who crack the code on this, first of all, it's an evolution. The process evolves over time, thinking change changes, what people value changes. But obviously, at a big level, we've seen Starbucks share share ownership with Beanstalk, as we call it, with with uh, our, as we call them, partners. Uh, everyone has their own term. And and really, I think that that has been an ex- a great example of tying the success of the company or sharing the success of the company with, in our situation, the people behind the counter, which I think is has been a part of the secret sauce and the magic of Starbucks that they've been able to participate in the success of the entire business enterprise. I think people have done it in all sorts of ways. Sometimes it's been tied to special bonuses based upon the success or probability of the company going all the way down in the organization to, um, you know, obviously the issues that we just talked about, actual equity, phantom stock. I mean, there, there are so many ways to skin this cat, but the idea is to get alignment. That's the bottom line. How do you align the not just the values of the company, the processes and outputs that you need to deliver to your customers to create a scenario that will lend itself to
1: success? Let's talk a little bit uh, about sort of the makeup of Ariel. Um, You know, you Ariel really stands out for being um, a very diverse workplace, I think especially, you know, in your industry. Uh, Correct me if I get any of these stats wrong, but uh, I believe the firm is 71% diverse and it has 67% minority and or female leadership. Um, And as somebody who who covers these issues at work, I know that that does not happen by accident. Um, You build a culture like that with effort, with purposeful leadership. Um, So... I guess I kind of have two questions about it. Uh, One is, what can you share with us about what it takes to build that kind of culture? And, you know, since we're talking about customer and employee experience, what do you think that um, that level of diversity and inclusion brings to the the customer and the employee experience? Those are great
2: questions. And I'll start with the first one. What what, What does it take? So I think I get the benefit of not having a mental model about what people are supposed to look like and be in any job. And maybe that comes from the fact that I'm diverse. I'm a woman. I come from a background where I didn't grow up with any money. I didn't get hardwired with a point of view. And I think that is super helpful to me. I tell this story all the time that when I was growing up as a child, my mother used to say to me, Melody, you can be or do anything. And I tell people I believed her. Now, at the same time, she set out all of the struggles and difficulties that I was going to have so that I wouldn't be um, sort of flattened out by my first bad experience. She let me know what I was up against and at the same time told me that I could be victorious. I modified this conversation for my now eight year old child. I have modified it. And what I say to her is, Everest, you can be or do anything, but I want you to believe that is true of anyone and everyone. That is a very different way of thinking. Not thinking about yourself like I can do it, but imagining that every single person you encounter or look look to look at a meet that they have the same potential, the same opportunity to crush it, the same ability to succeed. If you look at the world in that way, and I think that we've been able to put that in the DNA of Ariel, when people come to meet with you and talk to you about opportunities, again, you don't have a mental model that you have to overcome. And you assume they could be great as opposed to coming up with reasons in your mind that they can't. To your second question about what does the diversity, equity, inclusion mean for the company and the customer, I actually think, and I've said this many times, to be a 21st century company today, if you are not diverse or not serious about it, not just talking, but doing, as uh, my husband, who many people know is the father of Star Wars, and I always say Yoda's dad, Yoda says, do or do not, there is no try. There is no try on this one. It's literally... Talk is cheap now. And so, what I say is, when you think about what a 21st century company needs to be, if you are not diverse or not seriously chasing diversity, the way all these annual reports call it a strategic imperative, if it isn't real, you're committing corporate suicide. And it's not a question of if you will die, it's when, no, it could take a long time. And people say that I sound very um, fanatical in saying that, especially when you think about some of the big successful companies out there, but I really do believe it. It has a lot to do with how you'll be able to relate to the customer base that you have uh, all over the world, not just in this country, but it'll have a lot to do with the kind of people you attract within your organization. Lastly, Jesse Jackson always says that baseball wasn't as good as it could be until Jackie Robinson could play. Until you can field the very, very best players, you will not have the best team that you can have. And because I believe strongly, and the facts do speak to this, science proves it, genius and talent do not discriminate. They are equally distributed in our society across ethnicity, And yet you wouldn't know that when you walk into most corporate organizations. Uh,
1: For the record, I don't think you sound fanatical. I think if so, only in the best possible way. We need more fanatics like that. Um, I think this is probably related to some extent. Uh, But, you know, you started yourself at Ariel as an intern um, and you have Climbed your way up to basically running the comp- running the company, um, and I'm curious about how having that experience through like the different levels of the company has has shaped the way you you think about experience, either for employees or for customers or, or both. I think that is a
2: fantastic question. No one has ever asked me that. I thought a lot about it because the one thing I could say, and this is this is the honest truth, as honest as honest can be. In most situations, I can say inside of our company, I've done that job. (laughs) So I have a perspective about it. And I've done the menial work, the work that required, you know, long hours staying up all night. I've done the work that required, you know, 15 edits. Still do. Um, I've done the work that was really tedious. I mean, if you want to talk about tedious work, respond to an investment um, RFP, you know, mm-hmm. It's a yeah. document that you would prefer created. not to. Thank you. <laughs> I have literally done all of those jobs, and so it it gives me a perspective I think that is much more um, cognizant of the pain points, the difficulties as well as the joys that you get from the work. People always focus on what's hard, but I can also tell you the tremendous sense of accomplishment I got from doing those 100-page RFPs and putting them in the FedEx box myself and sending them out. All of those things became victories for me, and I got to feel the benefit of that. And then when we got the client, you know, you could sit in bed at night and say I was a part of it. Mm-hmm. and so realizing that and understanding it as it relates i haven't done every single job but i've participated in a lot of things at from entry level to senior level and i think that that gives me great insight into one how we can do things better two the fact that anyone can have a good idea anyone three that you never know where a good idea can come from including our clients and four, making sure that when we are encountering challenges, we're not defensive about them. Mm-hmm. So what I keep telling my team, let's just assume we get feedback that isn't great from a client or from a colleague. I keep telling our team, instead of immediately coming up with an answer that is based on the fact that we think we're good people who work hard, let's assume what they're saying is true every time mm-hmm. until we cannot disprove prove it. That's just a different way of thinking and putting yourself in the shoes of birth of that individual, the person that works with us at Ariel or the person that we serve. Assume their criticism is true until you cannot, you know, and try to disprove it until you can't. Mm. And then see what kind of insights can come from that that can make you a better company.
1: That's so, that's so interesting. And I agree that is, um, you know, I think particularly when you've been there yourself as you have been, uh, you know how easy it can feel to be defensive when you don't feel like your boss understands you and they don't understand your job and what you do. And um, to have a boss who has, who really does, I think is is such a unique experience. Um, I, I want to also dig into some of what you were talking about earlier about the way the pandemic We're all very tired of thinking about it and talking about it and living in it, but there's just no denying that has changed expectations um, as you talked about employee expectations and also customer expectations. Um, So can you talk a little bit about what changes you have seen and how you're trying to react to them?
2: I think the number one change that this whole society has seen is the need for customization, speed, which ultimately means a tech-enabled workplace. Mm -hmm. Every company is now a technology company in my view. And this, um, we've moved at light speed during COVID to catch up with where society wants us to be. It's just been forced upon us. And a lot of that was just practical. We had to respond to in order to keep the, the, the place running. But I think at the end of the day, if there are any silver linings that will come out of this horrible situation that we've had with this pandemic that has taken way too many lives and decimated so many aspects of our society, if there are any silver linings that can come out of it, I think it's forced us to um, catch up, and it's for, from a technological standpoint, and it's also forced us to um, to be less bureaucratic mm. and more um, more in the mode of problem solving. I always say it, Ariel, when when someone asks, why do we do something this way? And our response is because we've always done it this way. I think that's one of the worst answers you can prob- possibly get. And so I think this is environment has forced all of us to rethink how we service our clients, how we pick stocks, how we um what kind of work environment we have, all of those things have been forced upon us and we've had to respond in real time. The good news, I feel good about how we've responded at Ariel, but I think society overall has done pretty well, all things considered. When you think about where this economy is, where this stock market is and the like, I think it far far exceeds any expectation we all would would have had of where we would be at this point, given the stress to the system. But as Warren Buffett says so eloquently, one of my favorite lines ever: "Champions adapt." I think this has been a, a clear example of where the champions have adapted.
1: Yeah, I think many of us are um, working in ways that we never would have, not only never would have anticipated, but never would have believed were possible. Um, I know that's a case at our company where we thought we can't we can't do our jobs from home, um, and this has obviously shown us, you know, perhaps we're as, as a society more innovative than we even gave ourselves credit for. Um, although I would prefer to have found this out in a different way. Right, exactly. <laughs> and it's not only we can't do our jobs from home,
2: which maybe was the initial thinking. It was, we won't do it well. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen just the opposite. There's been the opportunity to simplify in this process. Jamie Diamond always talks about the fact that not, nothing more complicated is ever better. <laughs> you, say, you know, It's like, it sounds so basic, but it's really true. And you think about how things get explained to you sometime and you think to yourself, this is complicated. You know, having that mindset, especially in COVID, we've had to simplify. Mm-hmm. And I think in simplifying, I, I think if we can hold on to some of that thinking around simplification, again, it'll serve the customer better and it will create, I think, a better work environment
1: and how are you thinking about i mean it's such a huge topic uh of, for the companies that, that we we speak to at fortune we report on is you know how the workplace will evolve um and you know that's obviously very closely tied to the employee experience and and what employee, employees want and don't want as we hopefully someday, um, come out of the situation we're in now and are are in sort of a new working reality. Do you, um, are there things you're hoping to carry forward, um, at Ariel from, from this period or, you know, are you hoping to sort of go back to the old way of working? What, what are you thinking? How are you thinking about it? I think
2: you can't ever go backwards in society. I think that just isn't possible. And so, no, I'm not realistically thinking about or waxing on about quote, the good old days. I don't think that that's the right way to run a company. You have to be forward thinking and you have to respond to the, the scenarios, the environments that are presented. I do think, however, and I've talked about not managing by edict. I feel very strongly about that. But at the same time, again, I can hold two thoughts at the same time in this regard. You have to have vision. Someone mm-hmm. has to, to lead and have a point of view. You can ask and consult and engage, but at the end of the day, decisions have to be made. And that is where I think we find ourselves now as a society. There is no playbook here. There is no manual. And we're all doing this off the cuff. And I think sitting and sort of looking right to left, hoping for um, some example or some leadership that you can follow, I don't think that's working or Mm. will work. And so from my perspective, the things that we're going to try things. What I told to Ariel, my Ariel teammate, says, you know, I'm not going to pin myself to uh, something in this environment that I would have to live with or uh, come back with a sense of having disappointed or reneged on some promise that I've made. So we'll pilot things. We will try um, after we really do restore our return to office. Um, Our offices are open. I'm in the San Francisco office right now, but we have a very thin staff working inside of our offices right now. And people are working like crazy at home. So, you know, I'm very, very grateful for all of the effort that people are putting in. But I I have said, you know, we will try the flexible schedule and see how it goes, see how we will like it, try to land on what's the right way to do it, what's the best way for us to continue to innovate and engage with each other and have the collaboration and collegiality that has been so essential to the Ariel culture. We actually like the people we work with. They are our friends. John Rogers, who founded Ariel, is my child's godfather. So it just gives you a sense that, you know, we're tight and so we miss each other, we like to be with each other, and we want to make sure that that isn't lost, especially as we bring new people in the organization that don't have the decades-long history that we've had with each other, which could create uh, uh, haves versus have-nots in our society, which would be unacceptable to me.
1: I think this this overlaps with what you were just talking about, which is another concern that you know I hear from all the CEOs that that I speak to is, you know, like for better or worse, what's often called the war for talent, right? You know, it's a really hot job market right now. And there's a lot of concern about how to be attracting the best talent, um, especially at a time when our company's cultures are not necessarily on display, as you were talking about, you know, they're, they're operating in sort of a different way right now. And and also, you know, as as you mentioned, as companies are are leaning more into technology, um, and there's just extremely high demand for for certain workers with certain technological skills. So I'm wondering, are you feeling that um, at Ariel? And are you hearing that from the companies whose boards you sit on? And and how, how can employers respond to this sort of incredibly hot job market?
2: First and foremost, there's no question that the game is changing in real time as it relates to um, uh, attracting and retaining the best talent. Okay. That's just a fact. Some people literally after COVID and the time they've had at home and they in their heads alone and thinking through what they want out of life, they are going to opt out. And we all have to accept that they're going to want a different life or to do things differently. And there's no, you know, I don't think we can have value judgments around that. We just accept that people do what is right for them. I think trying to cling to people in that scenario is a recipe for disaster. So trying to talk someone out of a life changing move that they want to make, I don't think that that's that's the right thing for us to do. At the same time, I think that there is going to be um, an arms race on there always has been one, but I think it's gotten a bit. Uh, more uh, 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 treacherous, an arms race for the best people. At the end of the day, however, I think the organizations that will survive, thrive, and ultimately actually attract the best people are those who do things that are authentic for them and their culture. As that old saying goes, do you? I think that's super important. And I can think about the cultural differences from the front row seat that I get at J.P. Morgan versus a Starbucks, versus an aerial. And our points of view and the way the organizations have been built and are run and the leaders of them, there is not, one is not right or wrong, good or bad. They're just different. And it would be a mistake to try to overlay one culture on the other because, quote, that's what's happening in the society. Mm -hmm. I don't think it would be authentic to those companies or to those brands and ultimately doesn't, doesn't lend itself to a sustainable culture. It must feel authentic. So I am seeing all sorts of things that are happening in other companies. And I think, hmm, that's interesting. It might work for them, but these are the reasons it would not work here. And I'm not defensive about that. And that's, again, we're not managing by edict, but being very clear about who you are and what you stand for.
1: You, know, you mentioned the fact that some people are just have have gone through a, um, an experience with COVID where they're just saying, this is not right for me anymore. Um, but there's also a lot of people who are sort of on the cusp. They are experiencing burnout. They are having a difficult time from um, sort of a mental health perspective right now, but they're not ready to, to walk away from their jobs. Um, you know, how can employers better support those employees, and you know, at a at a moment where you can't enjoy the other parts of the employee experience, if if your mental health is not where it needs to be,
2: I've seen so many companies actually step up on this issue of mental health. We have a mental health benefit for all of our partners at Starbucks, and it's been something that I think has been very, very, very important um, through this pandemic before it as well. If we didn't just get it. We've had it there as a benefit. I think those are the kind of things where employers have to be very conscious of the fact that they are, um, they're having to do more than ever before. Maybe in the days of old, when you think back to the Robert barons and um, the, the corporate town and the, the. The Robert Barron, who was the patriarch and provided the sort of cradle to grave opportunity. You worked at a company for 30 years and retired with a secure pension and a gold watch. Maybe that's reminiscent of that. But I think companies now, we understand that there are a lot more considerations than we have that we have. And, And societal problems are at our feet. They are things that we can just look past and say, not my problem. And if you think that that is the case, I always tell people everything from, for example, mental health benefits to the fact, I mean, 20 years ago, you didn't have live shooter drills in companies. There are so many things that didn't exist before that really are a sign of the the demands on a corporation. And I think we recognize in order to have the best people, in order to be able to ultimately serve our customers in a world-class way, we have to realize that the whole person walks into that door, the office, the store, the branch, whatever it might be. And we have to, it's not our job to make them happy, but we should at least have the conditions, um, conditions that exist that create a happy work environment for them. These are tall orders. I am not suggesting this is easy. It's super hard to do at scale. And it's super hard to do when everyone has an opinion and different needs. Mm-hmm. But I do think there are some big buckets that corporate America can, can, can focus on that
1: ultimately will move us forward in this regard. Thank you so much, Melody. It's a, a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate your time.
0: That was Melody Hobson, the co-CEO and president of Aerial Investments, in conversation with Kristen Bellström, the features editor at Fortune Magazine. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to check out this year's Dreamforce on Salesforce That's Plus. That's Salesforce.com/slash-plus. P L U S. Thanks for listening today. I'm Michael Rebo from Salesforce Studios.